Cocaine Santa, a lithium bottom, a copper bottom, Florida shootout, Amazon versus AOC, Amazon versus Trump, the Tesla Cybertruck, the coolest cooler, and the first episode of Mr. Nick Hodges' 36th year. I am your host, Gerardo Del Real. This is episode 47 of Bizarro World. I am here with the wiser more intelligent, even more witty, 36-year-old Mr. Nick Hodge. Happy belated birthday, sir. Much appreciated. Is a cocaine Santa a cocaine Satan? Isn't that like a, a homogram or a homonym <laughs> or something? Can you spell those You're going to spoil it, Nick, but cocaine Santa is a sweater that up until recently you could have purchased at your local Walmart. Ooh, I can't wait to hear more about it. <laughs> Before we get to Cocaine Santa, let's talk about a place that is known for its um, tendency to indulge. You recently celebrated your 36th birthday. I understand that you and your lovely wife were in the city of Sin, Las Vegas. How was your birthday weekend celebration? All jokes aside, Nick. Las Vegas was fantastic. Um, first of all, it was the national um, uh, rodeo finals week. And so there was tens of thousands of cowboys in town. And so there were cowboy boots and spurs and cowboy hats all over the casinos, which was fun to see. Lots of plaid and wranglers and ariats and all the things that go with cowboys, getting of our mustaches. And so it was fun to see the cowboys. Um, take over Vegas for a couple of days. We went and saw Brooks and Dunn and Reba McIntyre at the Coliseum at Caesars Palace, which um, two things, if you know anything about country music, those are some of like the Kings and Queens, right? Kix Brooks and Ronnie Dunn and Reba McIntyre. I grew up on those people in the nineties, um, dozens of number one hits, huge records. Um, gosh, just if you don't know Brooks and Dunn and then Reba McIntyre, you should Google their names. They're, they're legends. Reba even had her own TV show for a while. And so, gosh, I grew up on their on their music in the in the late 80s and 90s, and it was fun to see them. Uh, my wife won a little bit of money on the slots. I won a little bit of money playing some blackjack, which are things we don't typically do. So for the 10 minutes we did it, it was nice to win some money. And it was nice to get a little bit of sleep. It was our first night away from all three kids ever. So no getting up for my wife in the middle of the night to change diapers or bottles and no getting up for me early in the next morning to catch the market open in Pacific time. So that was all good. How was your weekend, Gerardo? It was excellent. I'm happy for you. Congrats on your 36th birthday. Um, yeah, let's get to it. Let's talk markets. Um Overall markets, you and I were having a brief but interesting conversation about uh, millennials and this recession here in the U.S. that everybody keeps expecting, right? They call the, the U.S. indices, the bull market in the U.S. indices, the most hated bull market ever. And it's because everybody looks at all the economic indicators and they see, they, 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 they see you know, danger ahead. Everybody thinks that we have a recession right around the corner. Um, and despite that, the market keeps going up. Now, we know that a large portion of the market is being stimulated by capital that, frankly, is treated best in the U.S., right? Capital inflows from around the world. We also have a very accommodative Fed. But you you, you had a point, um, and it speaks to your insight, you had a point about millennials and how 
you know, as much shit as the millennials get for breaking things and taking straws away from us and, you know, any number of other things that the older generation tends to blame the millennials for, you'd think the millennials may actually have something to do with this re- recession that keeps being put off. Can, can, can you touch on that a bit? I think there's a there's a, a website dedicated to a list of things that millennials have killed, or at least that the media has dubbed. <laughs> I love has there's a dubbed, website. <laughs> has dubbed the millennials as killing. And so first of all, we'll put up a link to, to that website of all the things that millennials have killed. But this other article I was reading was saying, well, what you just said, how this bull market is, you know, 10 or 11 years um, old now, the longest running bull market um, in history. We should have had a recession by now because one typically materializes um, every seven years. We had the um, inversion of the yield curve, which we know um, a recession always comes after that, albeit sometimes 18 to 24 months later. Um, but what this article was saying um was that millennials are basically starting to get a little jingle in their pocket now because let me frame it this way. Um, and it relates, I guess, to my birthday a little bit. I'm like the oldest of the millennials. Like the oldest millennials were born in 1982 and 1983. Um, and so that makes them 36 or 37 years old now, the oldest ones. The youngest were born in, call it 2002. So what are they, 17 or 18 years old? So all of these people um, are now... Um, coming of age if they haven't already. And you'll note that um, people come of age later now than they did a generation or two ago, wherein uh, people would have kids, you know, 20 years old. My mom had me when she was 21, 22 years old, for example. But now people wait as much as 10 years later, like my wife and I did, and they're having kids like I'm 36 and I have an eight-month-old, right? And so people are coming of age later, waiting later to have their families, um, hitting their career arcs later, and by um, association, their um, earnings arcs, right? Uh, and, and so this article was saying that millennials are now coming of age um, to the point where they could stave off a recession in the U.S. because they're a very, very large cohort. It's a large number. I don't want to say the incorrect one, so I won't. But um, it's a very large amount of, of people. And they're now buying homes, creating families, like I said, hitting their the peak of their career arc. So their earnings um, is at the, the top of the arc as well. And so they're putting that money back into the economy. And we see these things, or at least I do anecdotally, that say – um, like you said, indicators about the economy pointing to recession. But even among my peer group, you know, we've seen things like um, going into debt or remodeling kitchens to get that granite countertop. Things we've talked about on this on this podcast, um, uh, running up debt, et cetera. But it seems, well, not it seems, it might be that, um, you know, their earnings are ramping up in time and they are making enough money and um, – well, let's be frank, you know, the recession has not been here for 10 years. If they had any sort of um, IRA or 401k, they've done well in the market. And so these millennials, um, for all the things they've killed, they might have killed um, recessions. That was sort of the, the tongue-in-cheek headline of the article, and millennials killed recessions too. Um, and it made a valid point, and I just wanted to, to relay it, I guess, on this podcast. No, that was well done. Uh, that was well said. It's a, it's a point well taken. Obviously, the overall indices continue to perform. 
Um, a lot like the gold price, it continues to be a lot of the same. We're sitting here at 27.9 in the Dow, right below that 28,000 mark. Let's pivot to gold real quick, right at that 1460 level. Every time we think we're going to get a breakout or a breakdown, neither shows up, right? So it's kind of ho-hum in the gold space, in the precious metal space, and in the overall indices. The two sectors that my contrarian heart smiles at right now are the copper and the lithium sectors. You know, the the, the smartest voices in the lithium space, you know, I, I, I tend to rely on a lot of research um, from Simon Moores of Benchmark Minerals and Mr. Joe Lowry, who's known as Mr. Lithium, um, largely due to the fact with, in Mr. Lowry's case that he's got decades of experience um, in the field selling, negotiating, um, and contracting, uh, you know, a, a large portion of the lithium, the significant lithium deals in decades past. And so, you know, he provides a lot of that, that firsthand information, the isms of the business that unless you're out there doing it, you, you don't really get a feel for uh, Simon Moore's and, and his group benchmark. They do a phenomenal job um, of, of, of just keeping track of everything. And so, you know, copper switching to that is sitting here at 273 a pound. It's quietly crept up four or 5% over the last week or two. Um, despite the fact that we don't have a deal with China, we don't even have a phase one deal, despite President Trump being on Twitter every day, you know, every time the market drops, even though he says he no longer watches the stock market, he's tweeting about how close we are to a, a, a phase one deal with China. So you and I have voiced skepticism about whether or not that happens. But the reality of it is copper's rebounded well, despite that. And many people think if we can get out of the 270 level that we're headed right back to $3 a pound. And man, look, it's tax law selling season. We probably have another week or a week and a half or so of it, um, the, the, the more pronounced portion of it. And there's a lot of quality copper juniors and a few select lithium juniors that I think are absolute no-brainers at this level if you can hold them you know, for, for, for at least 2020 and let, let that kind of play out a bit. I would love to hear your thoughts on each of those, the copper and the lithium sector. And, and if you have any names that, that maybe you like or that you're watching. Oh, gosh, you put me on the spot with the names all the time. Um, <laughs> you know, we've been saying for a couple of years about this electrification of everything trend um, is real. And one of the questions has been, if this is so real, right, then why have lithium and cobalt prices and vanadium prices and copper prices continued to eat shit um, and not be able to gain any traction and the related equities as well. And not just the juniors like the Albemarle's and the SQM's of the world. Um, and then you, you know, you look at the, at the projections of the amount of electric cars that are slated to come online and the transition that China is shooting for. And you mentioned benchmark, if you go on their website and look at the amount of like gigafactories that have been, built or are being built and how many new cells, you know, gigawatt hours of cells capacity is expected to come online. I mean, the numbers are crazy and, and it doesn't make sense when you look at the price of copper and the price of lithium, et cetera, and why those um, commodities and companies that search for and produce their commodities aren't gaining traction. And we've been saying that um, it's, it's sort of like a, um, one of two things, right? It's either you know, we're going to get a recession, uh, a, a global recession. And, and that's why the copper price has been depressed, right? Old Dr. Copper, right? It knows what ails the economy is the, is the old saying. And by copper not 
breaking out or going higher, it portended doom in the in the global economy. Um, but at the same time, it can't. The copper price I'm talking about stay where it is if we want all the other things that are very real that I just mentioned, the electrification of everything. And so, um, which one is it? We've been trying to figure out and relating back to that millennial staving off the recession talk we had earlier it's starting to come into focus that it could be the latter where we have a mild recession maybe a mild pullback in stocks but not an end of the world um event like um some people have called for you know worse than than 2008 type deal um that allows um a healthy a healthy correction a healthy um recession that's supposed to happen every seven years and then and then back to growth, and it sort of um, has to be that the that latter scenario for everyone to live happily ever after, <laughs> and for you know the world not to end, and for us to combat climate change, and for um, you know our refrigerators to order milk that our driverless cars then pick up. I wrote a piece earlier today for Outsider Club. You can find it on OutsiderClub.com, of which Mr. Nick Hodge is the founder, of course. I write a free weekly editorial given uh, my opinions, my rants, my raves on the markets. And today's was about lithium. And, you know, it somewhat relates to the copper space. You mentioned the the term that you coined at the 2000, I want to say the 2017 uh, New Orleans Investment Conference. You you did a presentation and you talked about the electrification of everything. I've then I've since then uh, borrowed that that term several times. But um, there was an announcement in the piece I wrote today. There was an announce. I, I mentioned an announcement made last month by Pallinghurst and Traxxas saying that they would invest up to two billion dollars in mining projects for battery materials, and that included, of course, copper and lithium. And there were two things that were interesting to me. One. Um, $2 billion in mining projects is substantial uh, Two, but the, the, the second thing, and, and this was big, is where they said they were looking for these projects. And it was outside of South America. They've noticed um, the recent turbulence in that part of the world. And so they said they would not be targeting investments in continents such as resource-rich Africa or Latin America. Instead, they were only looking for projects in North America, Europe, and Australasia. And I thought that was very, very, very telling about where some of the capital in the near term is going to flow. Um, and again, it just speaks to my, to, to, to my point. I think we're near at or near a bottom in the lithium sector for the better juniors in the space um, and the majors, frankly, they've been hit almost as hard as the juniors have. Right. And so an interesting time, if you're a contrarian and you can sit a little bit to go and dabble in some of the quality names in the copper and lithium space. They're going to make for great long-term speculations. I think there was an announcement last week. Um, if memory serves GM and LG chem uh, building a, a $2 billion battery factory in Ohio. And so um, the trend is real. The materials um, have to come from somewhere. And it's not just copper and it's not just lithium, but it's cobalt too. I mean, a week or two ago, we learned that Glencore was shutting down a mine in the Democratic Republic of Congo that was uh, of the Congo that's going to take 20% of um, the world's cobalt supply offline. 20%, one in every five um, ingots, call it is not going to be there as far as cobalt supply. And so 
um, these problems are going to come home to roost and and the companies that are going to provide the next round of these resources are the are the junior companies, just like they have been um, in the gold space. They're going to be the same thing in the battery metal space where these juniors with quality resources, the the Cucho coppers of the world that we talked about last week are, are going to get taken out because they have the next round of of quality assets and good jurisdictions. Agreed. Agreed. Let's uh, I, I'd be remiss if I didn't say that Mr. Paul Volcker passed away on Sunday. He was, of course, was a Fed chairman who, you know, famously waged a war on inflation. I, I happen to think he was the last Fed chairman that actually put the country's interest above politics. Um, he was somebody that came in and really, really, really <laughs> ramped up rates until he broke the back of the inflationary trend that had set in America in the late 70s, early 80s. And so, you know, condolences to the family. He was 92 years old. We should all be so lucky to have as long and fruitful a life as Mr. Volcker. But again, I think, you know, he's the last real Fed chairman that I thought, you know, put politics aside, put personal opinions aside, and um, really took on a tough, tough stand on on inflation. And, you know, it, 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 it shaped, it likely shaped monetary policy um, for, for, you know, decades on end, at least, at least the, 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 you know, the last three decades, I would say. So, uh, yeah, condolences to the family. Any thoughts there? I'm going to make a joke and I hate to do it around someone's death, but he preceded <laughs> me. He was before my time. And so I didn't get to live through while he was actually, um, you know, serving uh, in his role at the Fed. But I have seen some cartoons about his stature. And so my joke would be something along the lines of um, he was the last Fed chair with a, a, a tall physical stature stature as well. He was six foot seven. And ever since then, I would say the height of the um, Fed chairs has declined along with the interest rate. Well done, Mr. Hodge. Well done. I see uh, you, you you turning 36 isn't... Uh tarnishing any of your polish there good work good work good work oh, I, I tried <laughs> all right mr hodge what do you want to talk about you're coming off a birthday it's your first year as a 36 year old man what do you got on your mind so i want to talk about a couple of things and i might be able to to tie some of them together um and then you can get to the cocaine santa so what do i want to talk about <laughs> first um, I want to talk, I guess, about climate change and energy and emissions, um, because we ain't beating this thing, folks. Um, gosh, you know, you have so much concern about the, the rising temperature and we see, and I've talked about on this podcast, some of the, um, I would call more foolhardy ways um, companies and individuals are trying to approach it, but um, none of this um, is having a lot of impact, and I've talked about the fact that none of it has a lot of impact. Case in point, like the solar roads, for example, that took 10 years for the world to realize was a terrible idea and are now being um, dismantled in France. Well, um, gosh, where do I want to go with this? One is that um, 2019 will be the highest amount of emissions on record. We're not making any progress on the emissions front, despite um, 
all the stuff that you read about solar deployments and wind deployments and conversion to electric cars, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, 2019 record emissions. I can see um, the elevated train track that drives through downtown Spokane from my office window. And there's probably 15 to 20 uh, trains with, um, <laughs> you know, 15 to 30 cars each full of coal that go by every day. We're not making progress. It's not going to be like a, a happy ending transition to green energy like everybody has been telling you is going to happen for the past 10 years. And I've said this before, like 10 years ago, it was like, oh, in 2020, we're going to be 50% renewable. And now it's like in 2030, we're going to be 75% renewable. And it's like, no, we're fucking not. Like 2019 was the <laughs> highest emissions on record ever. Like It continues to grow. Let's start to get this through our heads. It's not working. Now, where do I want to take it? Go ahead. I'm only laughing because we're fucked, but we might as well have some fun on the way there, right? Um, you may be able to you may be able to present a solution because I know you wanted to talk about multi generational space travel, and I was going to ask you whether or not, along with your rant and rage and anger, <laughs> you had any solutions or any hope or any optimism to counter that, Mister Hodge. I'm going to touch on a couple more things. Um, <laughs> one. Um, some of the things that we're pursuing are good, right? Like solar energy is good. Trying to reduce emissions and waste and pollution is good. Um, yes, to be clear, starting... everybody, we are not against good common sense solutions that are healthy for the environment. Let's be clear about that. We are against, at least I am against, um, a government's using this as an excuse for population control and taxation, which a lot of this climate change rhetoric is. It's just a way for a politician to get in my pocket, charge me more for something that they can then corruptly pocket and do something else with and has zero bearing on the future of our planet. So that's my disclaimer on my end of it. Continue, Mr. Hodge. Apologies for the interruption. Let me continue just on the solar. So what we're starting to learn is that um, the things we've done and are doing to combat climate change are going to have implications like, um, you know, more people know now that cobalt is mined um, sometimes with child labor in the Congo, whereas 10 years ago, they didn't know that. Why? Because now we use more cobalt and we need it for green things and we want all those inputs to be green. And so now we're doing like life cycle studies and lifetime studies. And one thing we're now learning is that we're going to have to deal with a lot of solar panels in the next couple of years, like a lot of them. Listen to this. Right now, total e-waste that we generate in the world every year, that's like old phones, old computers, old calculators, et cetera, you know, stuff with resources in them and and and, and silicon chips and, and other minerals and minerals. We, we as a, a society, humans, produce 45 million metric tons of that stuff annually. Mm. So, yeah. Right. I had I, I, I had a sol I had a solar powered sex toy joke that would have gone really well with annually. But anyway, <laughs> continue. Sorry. Uh, I, I can only <laughs> infer. Continue, Mr. Hodge. Apologies again. It's like the analysts that write about <laughs> stocks. So that's a whole shit ton of uh, waste, by the way. Yes. Forty five million metric tons every year. That's what we do. So by twenty fifty. The amount of waste um, annually that's going to be generated by just solar panels is projected to be twice that. So you're talking about 90 million metric tons of PV waste. That's just from solar panels. They, that's just from solar panels because they only have a certain lifetime and then we're going to have to deal with them. 
um, and there's lots of silver in them and, you know, cadmium in some cases, et cetera. And so it was just something I wanted to put out there. Like right now, or for the past 10 years, you know, 2010 to 2020, solar was like a really good green idea. But in 2050, um, it might not be as, as um green or as clean when we're when we're dealing with the tail end of the of the life cycle of those panels as opposed to the clean and green end where you get to strap them on the roof and create uh electricity from them huh and then you asked me about solutions so yes. um, and i don't like this as a solution i'll get to my solution in a minute um but the solutions that are being proposed are now getting more and more ludicrous right from beyond solar roads and beyond hoisting up concrete blocks to release in the future to produce energy like now they're getting way out there so now um serious scientists like phd scientists i'll put up a link are planning um a space trip to a planet that would take like a thousand years to get to and um (laughs) they're trying to get up They're trying to devise a way that we would travel this thousand years. And obviously, multi-generations of people, humans, would be born while traveling to this planet on the spaceship. Um, because it takes a fucking thousand years to get to this <laughs> other planet that these scientists want to inhabit. So, <laughs> apparently, <laughs> you know, I'll get to my solution in a second. But rather than deal with it here on Earth and apply our best brains... We'd rather contemplate traveling a thousand years and engineering a spaceship that can get that far um, safely and also how we can um, have multi-generations of humans on this um, spaceship that's traveling a thousand years to this new planet that we're going to inhabit. So I just wanted to get that out there for the record. (laughs) And then, so my solution would be like, why don't we just fucking deal with it? Like if it's, imagine if that, we can, imagine if that. We can, if we can contemplate a thousand year space journey to inhabit another planet, surely, surely we can cope with a 1.2 degree rise in our own planet's temperature. Like surely we can do that. Like we can build some better air conditioners or we'll build like a giant vacuum to suck out the CO2. But like, surely that has to be easier than traveling a thousand fucking years to another fucking planet. I think your example and, 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 and your, 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 your rant is, is well received because it's indicative of almost everything. It seems like that goes on in our world today. It's that whole, let's kick the can down the road as far as we can. So we don't have to deal with it. When I see little Greta up there upset and, and, you know, looking um, for solutions and people get mad at this young 16 year old girl who is looking for some common sense solutions to help the environment. It's interesting to me, the adults that get upset. You know, because I noticed like, and I know Twitter isn't the real world and, you know, it is what it is. It's, it's, it's people behind a, a computer screen with, with Twitter fingers. I just put their opinions up. But when I see adults, you know, cursing at or demeaning or making fun of this young lady, instead of like offering some real world solutions, it's so indicative of like everything in our world right now, right? Our political landscape here in the U.S., our, our, our financial landscape and the rules that, that govern that, um, fed policy, you can shrink it down to whatever. Right. Um, and, and, and there's, you know, there, there, there was a very serious situation that happened in Houston here recently. Um, 
a couple days ago. And, and there was a police sergeant in Houston that was fatally shot while responding to a domestic violence call. And the police chief got up there and did something that I seldom hear. He got up there and challenged lawmakers and said, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to quote him because I don't want to put words in his mouth, but he challenged lawmakers to pass key legislation, common sense stuff that would bar domestic violence abusers from owning a firearm. So this, there, there was a 911 call, uh, wife was being beat up, gentleman had a handgun, police officer responds, gentleman inside, asshole inside, kills um, the police sergeant. And so the police chief came out yesterday and said, I don't want to hear about how much they support law enforcement. He was talking about um, uh, legislators and he said, I don't want to hear about how much they care about the sanctity of lives. He said, and and I, I love this. He said, legislators have failed to reauthorize the Violence Against Women Act, which provides funding and grants for domestic abuse programs due to pressure from the NRA which doesn't like the fact that we want to take firearms out of the hands of boyfriends that abuse girlfriends. He goes on to say, and who killed our sergeant? A boyfriend abusing his girlfriend. So you're either here for women and children and our daughters and sisters and our aunts, or you're here for the NRA. He continued, make up your minds. He then called out three senators from Texas, Mitch McConnell, Ted Cruz, and Josh Cornyn, Um, And he said, it's time for the Senate to act. He talked about the fact that he didn't want to see, quote, their smug faces talking about how much they're here to protect us. When you as an American are seeing American blood shed every day in this community throughout this nation and you refuse to do something about it, do something about it or retire, he added. And he went on, and I'll put the link up, but I thought it was a moment of refreshing honesty from a police chief that obviously is frustrated from having to send his men into the line of duty every day. And look, we we, we take police to task a lot on this podcast. Um, we hate corrupt cops. I don't think anybody, there, there's no two ways of, 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 of putting that, but there's a lot of good cops. Um, and in this case, obviously, a sergeant lost his life responding to a situation that that where he was just trying to protect and, and, and go get this gentleman and keep him from beating up this woman. Um, and good for Sheriff Acevedo from Houston, who, who you know, took a stand. And, you know, the, the three senators that keep holding this up on political merits, um, you know, fuck those three. I, I, I'm not a fan of Ted Cruz and I'm not a fan of the other two, frankly, not for their other political beliefs, but because of the hypocrisy that goes on be, be behind um, a lot of their stances. And so, again, it's 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 going to change eventually. Just when in a thousand years, you know, are we are are we going to are we going are, are to kick common sense solutions uh, when it comes to gun violence in this country um, down down the road a thousand years? Um, I'm a Second Amendment person. I'm a firm believer in the Second Amendment, um, the right to bear arms, the, the the right to protect my own family, the right to, if you come into the house and, and you're an intruder, you're, you're likely to get shot. Um, but there's a smart way of doing it, America, and we're far from it. And a lot of it is just political lobbying by organizations with a lot of money and influence and something has to change. So yeah, just wanted to tie that into uh, your your multi generational space travel story because it seems to be that the only solutions offered are things in the future, right? Well, yeah, politicians don't want to rock the boat right now. They view that as a 
a surefire way to to lose their cushy position, right, by taking a stand. And so um, they don't. They just offer up their thoughts and prayers, and they wait until the you know the next event, whatever the next you know shooting event is, to to offer up more um, thoughts and prayers. And we're seeing, um, at least as it relates to the gun violence, you know, <clears throat> to some extent, private um, companies taking it into their own hands, whether that's, um, you know, Walmart, who said they weren't going to sell handgun ammo anymore and asked their um, patrons not to not to carry handguns into their stores, or someone like um, journalist Andrew Ross Sorkin, who puts together the New York Times deal book, like the, the Wall Street newsletter that goes out every morning, who has been lobbying for um, credit card companies and, and others on the financial side of how guns are purchased, um, you know, to take a stand and um, get something done because Congress surely won't. I'm not really sure what Congress does anymore except Collect try to checks. fire the president. <laughs> yeah, Collect crazy. checks, pass health pass healthcare laws that don't apply to them, pass financial services laws that don't apply to them. Um, that's that's really what they're doing right now. And this goes on on both sides. I'm not just here to poo-poo on the Republicans before all you Republican snowflakes get all up in arms about it and get your panties in a bunch. No, it's the left too. The left does just as much of this, right? Um, so yeah, both sides, uh, shame on them. And you mentioned, you know, the next shooting. Good news, Nick. I have the next one for you. That one just happened. Um, you know, this happened uh, in Florida where a ups truck which was hijacked by these two criminals and again let me make clear these two men that were suspected of armed robbery and had you know were suspected of other armed robbery robberies are responsible for the deaths of the people um in in this scenario they initiated the 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 shootout that unfolded they initiated the jewelry store robberies they abducted the ups driver um but what they didn't do is fire off hundreds of shots in the middle of traffic. And you can see this video. I'll put a link up to the article from the Washington Post. Did, did the cops do that? They they did not initiate the shooting, but the cops did shoot over, I want to say over, oh, 200, yeah. over 200 rounds against two suspects that were holding um, a, a hostage in a UPS truck. And, you know, Again, yes. Should the cops have defended themselves? Absolutely. Did they initiate the shooting? Absolutely not. But when you look at the video, and it's out there, just Google it, folks. When you look at the video, the angles that these officers were shooting from and the amount of shots that were taken is absolutely ridiculous. Um, you know, I've seen a video where it looks like the cops were the ones that un unfortunately killed the 27-year-old UPS driver. It was his first day on the job after trading. Um, he had two young daughters. This guy was doing nothing but just going to work, de delivering some packages. And so, you know, yes, there should have been a response, but it has to be proportionate. We've talked about the militarization of our yep. police departments on this podcast many, many times. This is a direct consequence of the militarization of police departments. Um, Yes, you have a hijack truck. Yes, you have a kidnapping. You know it's financially motivated because they were robbing jewelry stores. You don't always have to engage, and you sure in the heck don't have to engage with this kind of force in the middle of traffic. Um, 
it could have oh. been a lot worse. Oh. Four, four people died, including two, two the two suspects, but it could have been a lot, a lot worse. And condolences to 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 the two people that that passed that had nothing to do with it. One was a seventy one year old a seventy year old gentleman that was just waiting in traffic. Um, and the other was the UPS driver that was taken hostage that they say was killed, or it looks like in the video was killed by police fire. Well, where's the fun in that, Gerardo? I mean, we posted links to the to the recruitment tools and videos they're using to get these guys on the street. You know, you get the opportunity for a firefight in the middle of the street. You fucking take that opportunity for that firefight, boy. Unfortunately, a lot of the people that are signing up for service... Um, that's 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 what that, that's how they go into it right and and that's my point yeah exactly yeah yeah, yeah unfortunately people died and we'll find out where those bullets came from and i'll post links to other situations like this unfortunately that have happened in the past uh but yeah outsized response by um overly trained overly weaponized and overly anxious u.s police forces are um unfortunately the result when we've done what we've done with our police for the past two decades um but you got a bit ahead of me so i gotta walk it back because um i want to get back to the climate change for one second you guys you, you swept me up too fast i wanted to talk about <laughs> um you know one of, i was still on the solutions thing and yes. I, I think some of these people that offer up these solutions haven't spent um any time unfortunately outside of the big city because um, I don't know if I mentioned going back probably like three presidential debates, democratic um, presidential debates. Uh, they do the climate question every time and they got to Andrew Yang and it was Andrew Yang's turn. And, you know, everybody else is talking about how we have to reduce emissions and the same old blah, blah, blah. Um, and Andrew Yang says, we should just move to higher ground. <laughs> and it's like <laughs> no, nobody took him seriously but it's like that's the right answer right like if the sea is just going to get higher like why wouldn't we just move why do we have to go to another planet is higher ground not an option we have to just go to another planet entirely is like like one or two degrees is like a total deal breaker for our species i i, I don't think so and so mr yang is correct and that was sort of one of the solutions i wanted to present is um, and I know I'm, I'm getting off topic from where we were going, but I wanted to get this point in. I had somebody come to visit me the other week and, um, you know, city dweller, lifetime city dweller. And there's a lot of lifetime city, city dwellers. Like I know people who have never gotten a driver's license who have lived in cities their entire life. Right. Who, you know, um, you know, just juxtaposed to whatever my tractor driving 10 year old self or whatever. Right. So, <laughs> right. Um, they just don't know what the country is or even maybe that it exists. And this guy was telling me as he was flying here and as he drove around just the outskirts of Spokane, the outskirts of Spokane, how sparsely populated it was. And he was saying, man, there's so much room here. Like Spokane could be such um, a bigger city. Like there's a lot of room to grow. And it's like the whole world is like that, man. I mean, I know not everybody gets to go to mines in the middle of Nevada and, you know, drive five hours north of Las Vegas through moon territory. where The only thing you see is a wild burro. But <laughs> I, I, there's a lot of space in the world, man. We all don't got to be crammed into these concrete jungles that are built on the edge of oceans that are rising. Like move to higher ground is certainly a viable option. Sorry, you don't want to get out of Manhattan. It makes too much sense, Nick. It makes <laughs> too much sense. Let, let, let's stick with climate change. Um, you know, depending on where you live, you either get more snow or less snow. And this is uh, this is for my Canadian friends. You guys did this one. So 
Um, Walmart is apologizing for their sweater featuring Santa with cocaine. <laughs> That's my climate change transition and segue, Nick. So, hey, it is what it is. Um, Walmart has apologized for an adults-only Christmas sweater on its Canadian website that appeared to depict Santa with cocaine. I'm going to put the link up. It didn't appear to. It absolutely did. And you know it did because we have the description. The description says... We all know how snow works. It's white, powdery, and the best snow comes straight from South America. That's bad news for jolly old St. Nick who lives far away in the North Pole. That's why Santa really likes to savor the moment when he gets his hands on some quality grade A Colombian snow. (laughs) This was available... On the website, until recently, I will post the link with the picture of the sweater. It's um, it's absolutely hilarious. Um, so yeah, that's all I got. <laughs> What's I that? I can't wait to meet the newest. I can't wait to meet the newest reindeer, Scarface. <laughs> oh, that's so great! And his buddy Sosa and everybody else that was in there, right? So good. I love it. I love it. Let's talk. Um, let's talk Amazon. Amazon is is one of the few people that has managed to piss off both Donald Trump and AOC. Um, so on the AOC front, um, Amazon has declared that less than a year after walking away to have its second headquarters in in Queens, which AOC came out against the incentives, um, the tax breaks that were being offered, um, she was not with it. Well, guess what? Amazon is back in NYC. They are going ahead and taking 335,000 square feet on the city's west west side in the Hudson Yards neighborhood um, to create anywhere between 1,500 and 2,000 jobs. Now, let's be clear. This is a far cry from the 25,000 to 40,000 jobs in the city um, that were slated for the, 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 the you know, the second headquarters for Amazon, yep. but you know, uh, it's also, it's also an, an, an entry into New York, um, for Amazon that, you know, if we know how Amazon o- operates and we've seen it, it's not likely to shrink that footprint. It's likely to increase it. And so AOC is so good with social media. She posted a picture of her on a couch. I'll put the link up and, and, and the caption said she was by herself And she said, uh, that's me waiting on the haters to apologize after we were proven right on Amazon and saved the public billions. So despite how you feel about her, um, obviously an effective negotiator sticks to her guns. Um, that's all I got. Any thoughts on that, Nick? And then we're going to talk about president Trump pissing Amazon off and Amazon being upset with him. No, Amazon everywhere these days, obviously they have to be in New York city. We've talked about how um cities bend over backwards to attract them i believe on this podcast and just the copious amounts of tax breaks um and other goodies they've given them whether it's you know road construction or utility hookups or you know whatever it is to to get them to come to the state it's certainly um beyond what is needed um to attract amazon and so if their business is mandating that they need to be in these areas certainly um, the government and and more specifically individual politicians 
because that's what happens, right? The individual politician is so desperate to say he or she attracted jobs to sure. his or her juris to his or her jurisdiction that they'll give them whatever they want because, right? That that doesn't have to be paid into the future, or the next term, or the next person, or whatever it is, right? And so, um, Amazon needs to expand. It's expanding uh, globally, and obviously, um, AOC recognized that and knew that um, you know her her jurisdiction, her constituents didn't have to. Um, pony up that amount of money. Although, as you say, it's many, many fewer jobs than than first proposed. But nonetheless, um, 2,000 is still a good number of jobs. Absolutely, absolutely. And again, without any any of the tax incentives and all the other stuff that was getting thrown in uh, before. On the other end of it, Amazon is challenging the Pentagon's decision to award a contract to rival Microsoft by claiming that President Trump, drum roll, <laughs> plot twist that President Trump manipulated the tendering process to stiff his perceived political enemy, Amazon CEO Jeff Bezos, out of a $10 billion deal. What's interesting to me about the complaint, which was filed formally, it alleges that he not that Trump not only launched a public attack um, to, to, to steer the, the contract away, the Jedi contract, as it's called. I hate that name, by the way. Um, the Joint Enterprise Defense Infrastructure contract, but that he also did so behind the scenes. And so again, a $10 billion contract is a huge deal, even for a company like Amazon. And so um, again, plot twist, right? The president using political office to influence a department of our government, in this case, the Department of Defense, um, you know, to get payback on someone that he perceives as an enemy and an unfriendly person. Um, if, if I, I, I don't want to comment specifically just on this um, allegation, but if you all don't see a pattern of this, I don't know what you're paying attention to. I'm not saying he's guilty in every instance, but you know what they say, if it looks like a duck and it quacks like a duck, there may be a duck around somewhere, right? So Nick, any thoughts? <laughs> well done have you seen the cyber truck out there have you seen the unveiling i know we touched on it last week a little bit but i i don't know that i got your opinion on it um i have seen it i've seen the memes i've seen the broken windows i've seen the i've seen the comparisons i've seen elon musk saying he did it just for the memes what else what have i what have i missed now nah, you got it all and i think he did do it just for the memes i think uh I think Elon knows how to work social media very, very effectively. Um, I think he understood that, look, the people that aren't into the design, they'll retweet this with their own meme and it'll get me the coverage I can't buy anyway because all I want is eyeballs on this thing. And I think he does that time and time again brilliantly. Um, so again, <laughs> certainly, certainly looks like a DeLorean had sex with a Pontiac Aztec. That's like the best thing out there, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. No doubt about it. Absolutely. Just that, that, that's all there is to say on that front. Um, I'll tell you what has impressed me is the fact that, um, so I'm a truck owner. I know you you own a truck as well. I've always sir. been a, a truck driver since I was 16. I had a Dodge Ram 1500. That was my first truck when I was 16 years old. And personally, I think it's an ugly truck. Um, I, I get why people want an electric truck. I get the loyalty to the Tesla brand. Um, I get all that. And so um, I don't know if I was surprised or not that I saw it had nearly a quarter million pre-orders. Like that's a lot of pre-orders for that truck, I thought. So clearly somebody is willing to buy it, right? 
Absolutely. What do you think? Have you looked into the specs as a truck owner, as somebody that considers yourself that? Have you looked into the specs? Are you impressed at all by that? I haven't looked into it. I've seen some some videos um, purporting to compare it to the F-150, et cetera, but not well enough to, to speak on it. Maybe I'll brush up and we can talk about it next week. So it says that this big monstrosity of a thing can go from zero to 60 in as little as 2.9 seconds and up to 500 miles of range per charge. Is that impressive I mean, at all? That's, Towing capacity of 7,500 pounds? Yeah, it's okay. I'd like it to be closer to, you know, 9,500 or, or 10,000, but, you know, it's a city truck, right? It's like a Honda Pilot. It's not like an F-150, for example, because, like, I'm just thinking of ranchers, and I was talking about this, I think on a panel in New Orleans, like where I had just got back from driving my truck 14 hours across Washington and Montana to get to Wyoming. Like you're not doing that even with the extended range, simply because the infrastructure doesn't exist in Wyoming and Western Montana to get your truck charged where you need to get it charged. I don't think that's the market they're going for. They're not going after, you know, all the cowboys that I saw in Las Vegas this past weekend. They're going after like the dudes who want to drive trucks that are like mortgage brokers, right? Like those <laughs> kind of guys. The guys that don't wear socks with their suits. That's exactly right. And they'll they'll sell them. I mean, for sure. It's a, it's an addressable market. So let me me ask you this, Nick, let me ask you this. Go ahead. I don't think anybody's toe. I don't think anybody's towing their, their cows to the auction in this thing anytime soon. Well, that was my next question. So I'm on the Tesla page now and and I'm digging a little more. So the number that I quoted for towing capacity, right? The 7,500 plus pounds, that was for a single motor rear wheel drive. Now, if you want to up the ante and pay a little more, you can get a dual motor all-wheel drive. It's a lot slower, it's zero to sixty and four point five. But the towing, oh, no. capa- yeah, the towing capacity now goes up to ten thousand pounds. There it is. And now, if you want to do a tri-motor all-wheel drive, Nick, it's a lot of cows here. You can you can you can haul. You can tow up to fourteen thousand pounds. I like it. Now we're getting somewhere. It's so, like the thirty-five hundred. It's like the Tesla big boy. Right. And here's what's interesting about the tri-motor: you can get fourteen thousand plus pounds in towing capacity. And do that in less than 2.9 seconds, zero to 60. Now, of course, you're not going to go zero to 60 in 2.9 with 14,000 pounds in the back, right? But sure, um, it's interesting. I mean, it's interesting. I'm, 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 I'm curious to see who buys this stuff, who orders this stuff. Um, it's yeah, we'll see, we'll see. It's 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 a hell of a marketing gig, and obviously, judging by the orders, and and we know the orders aren't really orders, right? I think it was like a down payment sure. or a deposit of a hundred bucks. But he got the eyeballs on it. He did what he was supposed to do as a CEO. He got everybody, including us, talking about it. And again, if you're the the CEO of a company which I'm a shareholder of, that's exactly what I want, right? I want people talking about the product because somewhere somewhere it'll stick somebody's going to order it um and actually finalize their order and pay up and it'll be interesting what it does to the bottom line for for tesla i don't think it's a coincidence the stock has rallied um and i think it's one of the best performing stocks this year on the dow so interesting stuff i mean the f-150 is the best-selling car in the country like not just truck it's the best-selling 
car among all cars even beats like the Camry, for example. And so certainly a big market in in pickup truck drivers, including kind of what I was alluding to, like the hairy homeowner type of market, right? You know, a couple of two by fours, a couple of times a year type market. Like those guys will buy this truck for sure. Um, And expect it to change too, right? Because um, you know, some of the things I was reading are saying like the current angle of the windshield and some of the angles, et cetera, wouldn't even make it street legal in its current iteration. So it's probably not going to look like that when it comes to market. Let's let's hope not anyway. It's, it's interesting. It's interesting. Um, you know, if you get an overzealous cop and you get pulled over, Nick, um, Mr. Musk also says that um, the truck is somewhat bulletproof up to a nine millimeter caliber. So there is that. Well, we'll see. Didn't he smash the window with a rock, though? <laughs> two windows with two rocks. <laughs> he doubled so, down. I was like, yeah, here you go. Take this, Internet. I know we're getting long in the tooth on this podcast, but you just mentioned overzealous cops, and we're talking about cars. So let me wrap up with this cannonball run, if you don't mind. No, wrap away. Can I do it? Of so course. we just got done talking about cars and speed and how fast they go. And Gerardo mentioned overzealous cops. So I came across this article the other week that just it captivated my attention. I just wanted to relay it on as one of my insightful slash feel good stories um, of the week. Uh, and there's this race, which I guess I knew about, but had never really read about or paid attention to or knew was sort of as big as a thing as it really is. And that's um, the cannonball run, the cannonball challenge, the race from um, it's a, it's a certain parking garage in New York city all the way to um, a certain hotel in Los Angeles. And this has been going on for several decades now, people trying to drive from LA uh, from New York to LA in a record amount of time. Right. And the record previously was something like um, 28 hours. It started in the thirties. Um, back in the 80s, and people have been progressively getting faster. Well, somebody, three gentlemen, in fact, um, have just broken the record again. And I'm obviously not going to get all the details correct, so I'll post a link to it. But the gist of it is this. Um, They drove from New York to Los Angeles in um, 27 hours. And they did that by maintaining an average speed of 103 miles an hour. And that's in the world. (laughs) That's including stops for gas. So uh, they had, um, it was a Mercedes, a 2015 Mercedes AMG. Man, they, um, obviously a lot of research goes into this. It was painted silver. It was painted silver just to look like an average uh, sedan. The taillights were changed to make it look like an Accord. It had like three types of radar (laughs) detection. It had a roof, it had a roof mounted, um, like heat seeking scope so it could see in nighttime <laughs> if any cop cars were parked on the side of the road. I need a link. Uh, it had a network of people supportive to the cause driving ahead of them at most times to scout for cops. I love point, supportive to the cause. At one point in the California leg of their drive, they had the gentleman who previously set this record on a motorcycle navigate them through like the best course to take. Um, So he was leading them on his motorcycle, like just fascinating, right? People coming together. The record got broken. Um, Just three young guys in a car, 27 hours. It was just an awesome article. I thought I'd relay it. But I mean, can you imagine 103 mile per hour average, which means they're going really like 140, 150. They're cruising at 160, the article said, basically cruising across the country at 160 miles an hour and didn't get pulled over once. They said 
um, they got hit with instant radar once in a, a cop coming from the opposite direction that they knew that he got him with the radar, but he didn't bother, I guess, turning around to, to pull him over. And that was the closest call they had. Anyway, I just thought it was a, a good story, a nice lighthearted one. That's a great way to end it. I'm going to add a, a lighthearted uh, note here. My wife and my boys and I went to go see A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, uh, which focuses on Mr. Rogers, of course, and, and, and a, a brief moment in his life and, and just how effective he was at his message of, of, of kindness and helping and you know being a good neighbor, of course. And so if any of you are looking for a feel-good movie, my, the, I took my two boys, two of my three, my 16-year-old and my 11-year-old, and, and I was hesitant at first. And and I said, well, let me, you know, I told my wife, I said, let's take them and see how they receive it. I don't know if, if they'll be engaged. I don't know if it'll resonate with them. And, and much to my surprise, and, and, and I was pleasantly surprised by this, they really were curious. They loved the message. They were engaged the whole time. And it was a very, very well done movie that really is all about just being kind to each other. And, and you mentioned that that, uh, that, that, that supportive group of people that made that, that trip possible, obviously at those speeds, um, not advocating that anybody do that, but definitely, <laughs> definitely, definitely go see a beautiful day in the neighborhood. If you're looking for a nice movie and if you have teenage kids, um, if they're anything like mine, they're going to like it. They're going to enjoy it and ask some more questions. And I thought the message was spot on for the time we live in right now. It's a good feeling, a very good feeling. That's it. That's it. Episode 47 of Bizarro World. I'm Gerardo Del Real. Be nice to each other. Love each other, man. Uh, We need a lot more of that in this world. Nick, send us off. See ya.